This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. And you know by now my name is Nick, and I have read it all. Today we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 5 of the series, titled The Coffin. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic and, by extension, any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 3, Episode 5, so pause our show and go catch up before you listen to the rest of our episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. We're also g2tpodcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, and the word podcast.com or on Twitter or at gmail.com. Well done. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-P-O-D-N-E-T. And pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K, who is pledged at the level of ten dollars per month. Uh, this week, a little bit of feedback. I asked people what they thought about this episode. As uh, we would be recording a little bit later, I wanted to make sure people knew about that. But Martin did reply. He said, "This season's really had its foot on the gas. It shows that the hell storyline was just padding." I think he means in season two, uh, mm. of course. Uh, only had shots in Ian Collette's credits of Eugene going home and finding a crater. And he said, I'd be okay if the Saint just beat Hitler to death with a foot-long sub before the opening titles. <laughs> uh, I would probably be okay with that, but I also would just be baffled. I'm still baffled at the fact that Hitler is in the credits. That uh, uh, our friend. Yeah. What's his name? Noah Taylor. Noah Ta- Why do I always forget Noah Taylor's name? I don't know. He's one of those actors that I could, I could totally, I, w- I don't forget it, but there are other actors like that whose names I can never remember. And I'm always just like, so f- Rob Hubel was that for the longest time. <laughs> I, I usually could never remember his name. I usually remember Noah Taylor based off of how much I know you like him. <laughs> that's good. So I don't know why I've been struggling to remember his name, but that's the thing. I'm it's the fact that Ian Collette and, or Ian Colletti and, uh, and Noah Taylor's names are in the credits, yeah. and we have not seen them in episode five. And Jeremy Childs isn't. Yes. <laughs> so weird. It blows my mind. Yeah, we're halfway through. We still haven't seen them. That's crazy. And uh, you know what? It, like like we've been saying, I'm mostly okay with it, I think. But That's the thing. When they finally show up, I feel like it's it might be a welcome injection of something fresh at that point, or it might be too much. But... You know what? No, I think I'll I think I'll love it because that's the way Arseface is in the books. He'll pop in for like an issue or two, and then he's gone for like a long time. And then when you least expect it, he'll just show back up again. And he's not he's never like consistent. And I think that I might really like it for that. That's fair. I I guess I just want to hear more on the business end of it. Of like these guys are in the credits. Yeah. The credit sequence of the show, and yet in so little they get so little screen time i just feel like that's a very unique situation the second half of the season they might be that's much possible. more dominant yeah we'll see there was a, a comic-con trailer that came out i did not watch it because i don't want to spoil yeah me neither um but maybe there's hints of that in there uh seth also rose to it wrote to us on on twitter and said abs- uh he as pertaining to this episode he said it was absolutely amazing so many book things that were touched on great episode 
Uh, thank you guys for writing to us on Twitter. Thanks, and we also got a message from Joseph. He said, generally, I enjoy it when Jesse and Tulip get uh, get to show off their comic book style badassery. And they were both in full effect this episode. He's speaking of the coffin. Yes. Uh, the bit with TC sneaking up behind them like Elijah Wood in Sin City was great. <laughs> I like that comparison. That's a great comparison. And he said, uh, I love stars hats, which yep. is an, an, uh, something introduced this this episode. But we'll get to that in that. a little bit. Uh, plot, He says, plot wise, it feels like the Allfather actually thinks that Humperdue can serve as the Messiah with the Grail's help and Star doesn't. I'm looking forward to learning more about the Allfather. I agree. Oh, yes. Uh he said, do you guys understand what Jesse did with the cigarette? We saw all the parts in such detail that I feel like we were supposed to understand the plan, but I don't get it. Did the cigarette get sucked up and set off the fuel tanks, which resulted in an explosion that somehow got sucked back down to the coffin? I think that's what you're supposed to get out of it. It's not very likely, but neither is a lot of stuff in this TV show. I so. I didn't I couldn't quite follow. Because, it, OK, so there's. We'll talk about this later. Let's yeah, yeah. But I, Let's I put a pin in this. I think Joseph mostly got it. His final point, he says, Tulip's plot was easier. I assume that Jody gave her the pen to work on the crossword, and she picked her cuff lock, then locked it on him. I do. I, I disagree with that a little bit, because she kind of shows off the pen to Jody as like a, oh, look, this is how I got out. Yeah. So I think she picked it out of his pocket after he like fell asleep or yeah, something. Yeah, seems possible. And then swapped the cuff. But anyway, thank you, Joseph, for writing in. Thanks, Joseph. Uh, thank you to Seth and Martin for tweeting at us. And uh, those of you out there listening that have not tweeted us or emailed us this season, please do. Yeah, just do it already. We want to hear your thoughts on we Preacher. A, we had a good conversation going in the Discord, which I only leapt into like 30 minutes ago from now. <laughs> I was very late getting to some some conversation this week. But uh, I also don't, don't want to necessarily get all my good thoughts out in discord yeah. and then have the episode be a little stale for those guys that are, I, you know, I kind of use it as like uh, me refining my thoughts or trying to understand what other people got out of it. Yeah, I could see that. It but. is fun though to, to call back to things we've already talked about briefly. So yeah. Anyway, next week I'll be more on the ball. Um, all right, let's get into our recap this week. The teaser. Tulip gives up on the perfect opportunity to kill Grandma to go ask Jesse why he won't kill her. As Jesse starts to explain, they are interrupted by a few thuds outside of their room. And as Jesse and Tulip prepare for a fist fight, TC gets the jump on them by coming in through the ceiling. TC, Jody, Jesse, and Tulip tussle to the tune of Werewolves of London, and Tulip manages to best TC, but Jesse is not so lucky with Jody. Tulip attempts to hold up Jody, and Jody puts Jesse down, but Grandma starts joke- choking Jesse. And TC gets the jump on Tulip, resulting in her giving up and Jesse ending up in the coffin at the bottom of the swamp. Uh, oh, the coffin. Yes, the coffin returns. Uh, how did you feel about Werewolves of London in the fight scene? I mean, listen, <laughs> no matter what you do, if you integrate Warren Zevon into it, I'm going to be real excited. Sold. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love I love him. And I, uh, I think it was Bruce maybe mentioned yeah. that I, f- I think he said play it all night long was the song he would have rather heard. Uh, he thought it would have been more appropriate. Werewolves of London is funny because it's such an unusual song, even though everyone kind of knows it, even if they don't know it. Uh, if you really like listen to it like lyrically, and if you really like, think about what the chorus is and everything, you're just like, how is this song popular? How is this a song? <laughs> like it, It's just so, it's so silly. Uh, but it was fun. You know, As soon as it kicked in, I was like, this is funny. Like, yeah. it, it, it felt right to me. They could uh, 
he's the kind of guy, he's the kind of songwriter that I feel like a lot of his stuff could be in this show. Like he kind of like these kind of storyteller singer songwriters are some of my, I, I, I actually, <laughs> this is so stupid. I just put this together about myself uh, recently, actually, <clears throat> because I was thinking about some of my favorite musicians. Right. And I was like, a lot of the guys I, I really, I really enjoy tend to be like, I mean, I love Nick Cave. I love Leonard Cohen. I love Warren Zevon. And these guys all have a, a lot of things in common. But the, the biggest thing is that a lot of their songs aren't like, because I was listening to like the radio and all the songs are about like, it's just like relationships or like, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever pop songs is always about a girl or it's about a boy and things not going well or whatever. And I was always like, yeah, those are fine. Like, obviously, like, love is one of the great universal things we're always going to make art about and we're going to sing about. Yeah. But what I love about these three guys is they write songs that are just stories, like fresh, like, tales that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And mm-hmm. they do it in three and a half to, like, five minutes. And I think that's so remarkable. And it's something that we don't you don't hear that much anymore. It yeah. feels like it was a, kind of born out of, like, the 60s, a lot of this, like, folk kind of thing. And it's just kind of going by the wayside and i'm i'm probably wrong there's probably lots and lots and lots of current musicians <clears throat> who follow the same kind of uh model they just don't they don't rise to the top you know yeah I mean? they're not they're not the songs that make it to the airwaves because they're not like the poppy chord progression and right and the the subject matter that but, everyone but relates Werewolves to of london did and that's of so london funny. Did. And, and but it's one of those things where like that song is just so damn catchy oh for sure that it makes sense that that one would would break through, I think. But uh, no. yeah, I and he has so much work that I. So anyway, getting back to how it ties into the show, I feel like guys like that, they 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 have songs in their catalog that could fit like the kind of like themes and tones of like what preachers like. Yeah, and so I think Warren Zevon, although it is fun to hear Werewolves of London, I'm like, man, you could actually you could take a lot of his other work and like apply it, and it would probably be really cool. Werewolves of London is is kind of a it's a it's a very flippant look at something supernatural on its face, at least, which I think is very much preacher. Sure. You know, and, and, and on top of that, it's kind of, it's just got that feeling of like a bar brawl to me. Too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's so got, it's it, got that kind of jangling rhythm to it. Absolutely. So I th- it, it seems like a very good pick for this show. I think I could, I'm probably going to have to deep dive into a Warren Zevon conversation in the discord, but I'm really excited at that prospect. Yeah. Anybody who who doesn't isn't familiar with him, just honestly, this the, I I hate recommending like a greatest hits for an artist necessarily, but it's a good way to get to know somebody. Yeah. And his greatest hits, um, I forgot what it's called, it is very good. He probably has one or two of them. I have I used to have one on on a CD. It was really great. He also has. Uh, I want to see if I can find it. Uh, Genius, the best of Warren Zevon, is one of them. At yeah, least. the best of Warren Zevon is the one that I had. I think it was just called that. Anyway, it's a good way to get a to get a good uh, idea of you might you may know a lot of his songs and didn't know that you knew them necessarily. Yeah. <clears throat> he uh, anyway, he's phenomenal and yeah. and was a really really talented guy and very funny. I wish he was still alive. He passed away probably like at least ten years ago now, and uh, he was like one of the most frequent returning guests on the Letterman Show. He used to come on all the time because he and Dave were like pals. And he always had really, really funny, witty insights and funny things to say. His, I think his actual last live performance in front of any sort of audience was on the show. And he played Rolling the Headless Thompson Gunner, which is my favorite Warren Zevon song. And uh, he knew he was dying. He was diagnosed with uh, mesothelioma. 
and knew he was dying. He had only had so many months, and Letterman was asking him. This is one of my favorite quotes ever, so I'm totally going to embrace this digression. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> Letterman asked him, like, what's that, you know, how does that kind of change your worldview? Like, what, what do you take away? What's, like, your thought process? I'm totally paraphrasing here, but kind of like yeah. what, you know, what do you th- say to yourself every day when you wake up knowing, like, you've only got so many days left? And Warren Zevon's reply was, enjoy every sandwich. <laughs> and I think that's such a great line. And it's it's true. It's good advice. Like just daily, like take a second and enjoy everything, the little things where you can. That is brilliant. Good. Guy. Uh, great, amazing lyricist. Uh, passed away in 2003. 2003? Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Amazing lyricist, really funny, uh, great musician, talented guy, multi-instrumentalist. His Wikipedia says he does a cover of Raspberry Beret that I don't know that I've ever heard. So he's such a distinct voice. The thing is, if I ever heard he did a cover of something, I'd be I'd either say like, "Wow, it's either amazing or it's really awful and doesn't fit," because he just is a very distinct guy. But well, it looks like he's also done. He also did a cover of First We Take Manhattan," the Leonard Cohen song. Oh, so. see, I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, now. there you go. And I might hate it or I might love it. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. we digress. Absolutely, um, we do. The. The fight itself was really cool too. That's the thing I love about the show is the they really have this mode of like where these guys are fighting and then we're gonna move across the room and catch up with them and we're gonna use the momentum of these characters to carry us through the, the shot to somebody back else. To yeah. some other yeah. Which the, feels very Edgar Wright. For some reason it reminds me of Shaun of the Dead. The the that exact moment called out to me too, the the moment when TC and Tulip get shut into the bathroom, bringing you back to Jody and and Jesse. Yeah, I feel like and it happened a couple times in like a some minor fashion, but the one where TC like he's like holding her and runs her like through the door. Yeah, was really funny. Yep. Uh, TC's line about where where he, like after after Tulip sprays the the nair the hair removal cream, yeah. cream on it, and he says found object bathroom weaponry. <laughs> it's just kind of like. I, I don't I don't even know like he's a video game narrator yeah or he's just he's a, like he's he's so delighted at the fact of like oh we, we're gonna do this now and then and then you know realizes what's going on and he makes a flamethrower that ultimately didn't help him at all but. I really lo- I love that too because it reminded me of like playing like Halo or something like Cortana yeah. talking to you to update you on the situation <laughs> Or like Doom, found, yeah. found object, <laughs> bathroom weaponry. Yes, you've you picked up the rocket launcher. The whole scene was like uh, was really really fun to watch. It yeah, was great. Um, I don't know that there's a whole lot of other like mechanical stuff. There was another split diopter shot, which we talked about last season because they started mm-hmm. doing it a lot. Of Grandma holding the holding yeah. the napkin and tulip kind of in the background. Yep, uh, which is very cool. Um. And and I know they talked about that. I don't I don't know how much we digressed on that in season two, but uh, they were they the recently the slash film cast talked about the Mission Impossible series, and apparently Brian De Palma apparently is a big split diopter yeah, guy, which I haven't seen a whole lot of De Palma movies, but um, I yeah, just thought that was interesting. He uh, is definitely one of the people who helped perpetuate it. Yeah, he which is interesting because it's it is such a distinct effect, and you it saves you. In a way, it kind of saves you from a lot of work. Basically, if you're gonna try to if you're gonna try to achieve that level of focus, you have to blast so much light into that room if you're not gonna use a diopter. But it also gives it. That's not. I guess that's not true. It's not just an, an economy of light kind of thing, but it's also like it gives you a weird perspective. It well, it saves you the the focus pull, you know, obviously, which you're familiar with because you know. But then you don't have to. 
move from something extremely close in the frame and then go all the way back to something in the background. Yeah. Which I imagine would require a much more expensive lens than using a split diopter with a different kind well, of situation. I mean, if you want if you want everything to be in focus, you have to be stopped all the way down on the lens or as far down as you can be yeah. to, to widen the, the depth of field. But the dio- diopters do lend you an extra sort of something because you can almost... Because this is, it's kind of essentially like a, uh, like a pair of cheaters, like a like a, a pair of reading glasses, sort of, and it, okay. it kind of lets you get even closer to a subject. So that, you know how it's usually not just like here's a guy and there's another guy. Yeah. Usually that guy in the foreground is like really in the foreground. It's yeah. something like very close. Well, up. that's yeah. It feels like like you're literally highlighting an object. Yeah. Because you're, you're I think the idea is that you're taking a longer lens, a lens that has that compression, but doesn't normally give you all that depth of field. Yeah. So it, it is a really cool effect and it, it does really jump out. It just kind of pops off the screen when you see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts about the teaser? I don't know. That what, they, what's like, the last beat of the teaser? Jesse gets locked in the coffin. Oh, the coffin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the coffin is so badass. Um, I'm so glad we're back there. Yes. Yeah. It looks so funny underwater. Like to me, it immediately reminds me of uh, like the little scuba guys that you see in like a fish <laughs> tank. For some reason, yeah. it reminds me of that. Well, it's funny because that's why. kind of that. That's the that first time the, yeah, you hear that's the true. noise. Yeah, is that's in, true. Uh, season two, Glenn Moore Shower's house, right at the at beginning the, of season two. In, in the in yeah, in the in his yeah, his fish tank. That's true. Maybe that's also why it reminded me of it unconsciously. No, I mean it's it's that that the way exactly. it's shot. I actually, especially in the, there's a there's a shot of it later in the episode. I really thought I was like, is that a miniature like in a tank? Mm-hmm. It might be. But maybe not. That would be really cool, though. Maybe, It'd yeah. Clever, clever. Way I, to do I, mean, it. I wouldn't surprise me if they were like, yeah, we can't really quite Photoshop something that looks the way we want it to. So we we'll... can't necessarily build a full size coffin and you know have a dive team with a camera go down there and shoot it. Why not just shoot it in the fish tank? Make a fish tank. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I miss, I miss like true movie magic. Yes, for sure. The. Yeah, other than that, we just kind of get Jesse starting to explain why he doesn't want to kill Grandma, but we don't really touch on that. Right. I don't get the inkling by the end of this episode that he was aware that Tulip would die, too, before this. He just has, like, a... He kind of hints that he knew, but then why wouldn't he tell her? Like, well, don't kill but, her. <laughs> well, but I don't think he knows because he goes to save Tulip first. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If he would have known, I think he would have gone straight to Grandma, so... Uh, Fair enough. There might be something more there, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right. On to Act 1. The newly headed Hare Star receives a call from the Allfather as he's rehearsing Humperdoo's introduction to world leaders. The Allfather questions Star about Jesse Custer, but Star plays it off as though Jesse's not a threat to the Messiah. The Allfather requests to see how Humperdoo's training is progressing, and Star regretfully has Humperdoo perform his only skill that he's any good at, soft shoe the all-father loves the performance and featherstone secretly informs star that she may have a plan to get jesse back in the fold back at angelville tulip is chained up in the bathroom and she gets a visit from or in the bedroom and she gets a visit from tc jody and grandma all wondering where cassidy is as he was their meal ticket tulip questions grandma as to why jesse hasn't killed her yet but she plays coy about it and tells jesse to watch tulip so he pulls out a pen Tells Jody to watch Tulip, so he pulls out a pen and a crossword. Uh, Hairstar's hat. So he was wearing that hat in season one when we see him from behind when he's in like the snuff film festival. 
He is wearing like a white sort of fedora with a yeah. red stripe. So that's not necessarily the first appearance of that hat. Okay. But then we get his amazing his like <laughs> white <laughs> large brimmed baseball cap yeah. later, which is so good. <laughs> I can't wait. This is there's gonna be so much more to come, I think. I think we're gonna see some really amazing hats. So I guess yeah, I was gonna say, so in the in the comic, are are you seeing him in different hats to like fit with like disguises or just like that are more to do with the locale that he's in or yes and no i really i can't elaborate any okay. further unfortunately because right. okay. I'll, I'll ruin something that's fine well we'll we'll but was this <laughs> was this what you were waiting to see no after he got hit in the head no no but, but this was great i mean like okay. the first hat I think he wears that hat at some, at several points in the book. I feel like when we first meet him, he's just in his bald head, but I feel like he does adopt that hat. I you know, I feel like my memory might be playing tricks. I'm but I'm like 97% sure that when we see that shot of him walking away down the hallway in the yeah. white suit that he has the hat on. But anyway, maybe not. But I'm pretty well, sure. Well, no, my my guess is that at least in season 1, they're like, "We want you the comic book reader to know who this is right which we did anyway and they but probably the hat put, yeah. yeah the hat helps tie it all together anyway yeah. it's it's part of his it's a cool look uh but yeah i definitely giggled when he had it and i like actually like belly laughed at the baseball cap later <laughs> yeah. because god that look on his face all the time that perpetual like just resting bitch face that he has <laughs> is so funny like pip torrens is just give him some award for this show because <laughs> he is just such a brilliant comedian in this series and even in this scene where he's like gritting through his teeth as he's talking about Humperdoo yeah is really funny when he's on the phone or on the uh, FaceTime the iPad, yeah yeah uh <clears throat> Humperdoo is my, he's much more of a character in the show than in the books mm. like in the book he's not really in it much he's there just to get the point across and yeah. then he's kind of like pushed off to the side uh and I don't know how comfortable it really is to watch like it's definitely it's really it's weird. weird. It is weird. Yeah. This, the trotting out of a mentally disabled, like, Christ child in any... Fu- well, a mentally disabled character in any sense to be the butt of a joke Yeah, and is weird. I think they're <laughs> maybe using him as a, as a bit of, like, an allegory of the type of people that certain groups tend to push forth and say, this is the guy. Oh, and, yeah. and the rest of us go, are uh-huh. you serious? <laughs> and they go, yeah, look at him. He's perfect. <laughs> I could see that that's about the level of subtlety that Rogan and Goldberg sometimes. That's true. Or, or lack thereof intentionally. But the thing is it goes so far over that I feel like it's easy to let it like pass you by. But I feel yeah. like that they're kind of, that's sort of the agenda a little bit. I think they're kind of saying like, because the all father is the all father, the grail, right? He's yeah. as powerful as star is. This is the guy. And he's like, has full, he's like, what, what? Well, yeah, show me what he can do. And then he does it. And he like, thinks it's great. And he's like, yeah, totally. <laughs> let's move up. The th- not only is that good. I mean, uh, everyone move, will eat this up. Let's move up the timetable. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're not even going to take any more time than we need. Yep. And uh, it, it's that's good because it works on a lot of levels. Because in the book, Star is definitely like the All Father is not. He's no longer fit to lead the Grail. Is kind of Star's uh, 
uh, position. Thesis, yeah. But in the book, it's not. You don't. You're not provided with necessarily a lot of evidence of it, other than the All Father being like, "Yeah, we gotta, we gotta put." He's not even called Humperdoo in the book. He just says that. That's the only word he says. Yeah. But in the book, he's kind of like, "Yeah, he's the Messiah. Whatever. We gotta put him forward." But I think the idea in the book is that, although Humperdoo would be the figurehead, that the All Father would still wield control from behind the scenes. Okay. And in the show, it's it's. It's unclear as of yet as to what exactly the All Father's plan is, but he seems kind of like, "Yep, cool, like put him up there." And maybe he is more cunning than that, and he's like saying, "Yeah, we'll let this this guy be the one in the public eye, and meanwhile, I will continue to be in command." Yeah. Either way, in the books, Star is like, "Yeah, I want to find a way around the All Father," and in the show, he's got the same objective, as you can tell immediately by the All Father being like, "Hey, what about this Custer dude I'm hearing about?" And he's like, "Nope, he's a." Nope, he's a nobody. doesn't matter. Don't yeah. worry about it. Meanwhile, he's like, we have to move our timetable up. We got to get him back in our in our corner. In our good graces. Yeah. I'm wondering if there will be a point where they cut loose and kind of say, all right, <clears throat> Jesse's not going to do what he wants to do. We need to kill him and take it from him rather than like. Well, I feel like eventually that, that could it could go that way. I feel like eventually Jesse has to get Genesis back in order for the show to continue to be preacher. Well, yeah, yeah. But yeah. We'll see how all that's going to shake down. I'm still not really or not really sure because Genesis, who knows what kind of mental, for lack of a better term, state Genesis is in right now. Having because he's still in Jesse, yeah, just unable to even do anything necessarily. Yeah. So either in this dormant time, Genesis is maturing slightly or regressing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm interested to find out. All I know is the best part about this whole sequence is Hoover. Singing and, and playing playing piano, piano and <laughs> just making me laugh my ass off. Yes, it was spectacular. It was fantastic. And he's he's genuinely delighted when it's over. He's yep. like, yeah, like he's really he he's the only other person in the room who's like into it besides <laughs> Humperdue, and it's really good. Oh, Hoover, Hoover's so yeah, good. Beautiful Hoover. Um, sweet Hoover. <laughs> so, uh, star star's line to Featherstone about how she got her like. Uh, bloodied <laughs> yeah. nose like a, a woman did Swollen that to nose. you yeah, yeah. Uh, i thought was you know very star very at least star. and yeah. and i don't know quite good but um we're really seeing like tulip like full bore like badass in this season like she's she's always been pretty pretty badass but in this season she feels like she it's just like we're watching her like just knock people out yeah like by the end she like who does she punch? Oh, she punches TC out right towards yep. the end of this. Just like knocks him out cold and yep. like, and without even flinching. And it's like ah, she's so good. Mm-hmm. She's great. Um, and then yeah, so the she she kind of tries to get Grandma to understand or tell her why Jesse doesn't kill her. And Grandma's basically just kind of like he's family and he's he's smart. He knows that he shouldn't do that, but uh. I don't know. Like it, it's still it's it's weird to me that like I guess Grandma hadn't played that card yet to Jesse in terms of like a if you kill me, Tulip's gonna die, mm-hmm. and so her playing coy about it is just kind of weird to me. I don't get what the her motivation of holding that playing card is, other than just to torture Jesse, I guess. But yeah, um. 
But yeah, the the fact that like they were so hell bent on Cassidy being the the thing bringing them back to prosperity, I guess I think is interesting. You know, they they despite the fact that he's a vampire and they clearly kind of despise that. Mm-hmm. Um he they still they wanted to use him obviously. Right. So, um but grandma's just so pissed about it too. Like she doesn't it's almost like she doesn't have faith that Jesse will help them or that Jesse can help them necessarily. I don't know. But it's definitely like a a grievous like offense to her to steal. She keeps saying they stole as yes. though like he's her property and like that definitely riles her up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I I think it, it must run a little deeper than just like you took something from me, but at the same time the idea that somebody would dare do that and succeed, it seems to really not Piss sit well off. with her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts? All right. In Act 2, while the Allfather loves Humperdoo and wants to accelerate the Grail's time frame for the second coming, Featherstone says she has a plan involving Cassidy. We cut to Cassidy in New Orleans, picking up some opioids from a veterinarian and chatting with someone via the Bite Me app. Cutting back to Jesse, he's starting to lose it in the coffin and recites states and their capitals until he passes out and wakes up in a black and white desert with his pal John Wayne. Jesse plays out his Old West fantasy and tells the bad guys that's why I'm one of the good guys because there's way too many of the bad, which is something that his father used to tell him to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll get to John Wayne in a second, but uh, the you know seeing where Cassidy ended up just kind of on the streets in New Orleans, um, getting some opioids. Makes some, sense. Some elephant tranquilizers. Yeah, elephant tranquilizers from the veterinarian. Whoever that vet was, oh, that guy was awesome. Yeah. Like for a bit a bit role, he was fantastic. I like, I laughed out loud at his line, like, make sure you tell your elephant not to mix that with any alcohol. Like, <laughs> yeah. that really cracked me up. I was like, that's great. <laughs> the the other thing, AMC I think is really good at picking veterinarians because <laughs> there's a really good veterinarian in Better Call Saul. Oh really? Who's who's kind of in on on some of what's going on and ah. it's just i don't know it, i don't know it's i i thought it was like oh is this gonna be or, or is this somebody related to that guy or something but it's not i mean it, it just <laughs> it it seemed like it could have been an interesting place for a crossover, crossover except for the fact that it's you know new mexico versus get a, a veterinarian spinoff series new orleans yeah <laughs> um the veterinarians of the the cd underbelly yeah exactly the underworld um yeah, I don't know if we want to say much about the Bite Me app. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Um. But, all right. The moment of truth, John Wayne. Oh, boy. How did you feel about the show's depiction of John Wayne? I, for the most part, I really liked it. Yeah. The fact that it even made it at this point was pretty cool. However, to someone who is not in the know, you might be like, what? <laughs> Where's this coming from? Well, yeah, exactly. And where's it going? And honestly, I don't know if he'll show up anymore. Uh, it's funny that he's in this episode because I just, I think last week, talked about how the cover of that one issue is the coffin underwater and John Wayne like standing next to it. Yeah. And that John Wayne is throughout the book, uh, but he 
is really important when he's a kid in the coffin because he kind of gets him through it. Mm-hmm. And the show does a wonderful job of, I think, indicating that to a non-reader. Yeah. And I I don't remember now because I'm, I'm starting to get confused with our Discord talk and that, but... Is Joseph has Joseph read the books? I don't think so, but I don't remember. I don't think Joseph has. I know Bruce. Bruce has, has. for sure. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember. So I'm curious to Joseph when you hear this, and and maybe I'll bring it up later in in our in our chat. Uh, but for anybody else who's listening who hasn't read the books, did this make sense to mm. you? That's a good question. As like a coping mechanism, because he does say. When Jesse's in there, you hear his voice come in and he's like, I'm I'm here. He's like, it's been a while since you were down yes. here. And he's like, I'm here to take over. So I don't think Jesse, at least my read on it, I don't think Jesse passes out in there. I think he literally just... It's like a daydream. Daydreams, yes. Yeah. Because I think that the function of John Wayne in the, in the books in that context is that he helps kid Jesse like pass the time by having really vivid daydreams, essentially, because he has like a, a good imagination. And he... Uh, in the show, the daydream that he has is something that a kid would have. Like yeah. he's standing at this little train stop in the middle of the West with John Wayne and these bad guys materialize out of nowhere. They shoot them all down without any resistance. And they have really like hilarious, like one off lines yep. to trade with them. And then a train comes and brings more of them and he just keeps <laughs> piling them up. It's exactly like what, like an 11 year old, 10 year old boy would just imagine it's yeah. great it's kind of stuff i used to imagine when i was a kid in school when i was mm-hmm. bored i'd pretend i was one of the x-men yep. and that kind of stuff like you, you have those kind of daydreams and uh <clears throat> i think the show did a really great job of depicting that it just it may have done an adequate job in explaining why just by those lines john wayne has but you'd also probably were so caught off guard by the fact that like who what what is this and the show i i I feel like they might have gotten a better John Wayne impersonator. Like he's not bad, but I don't know. I don't think it was quite there. Like especially in his look. Yeah, I felt like he looked like John Locke from Lost, and I kept thinking, like, <laughs> is that him? Like they did an awesome job with kind of hiding his face for the most part, yes. and only seeing his mouth and his jawline. But I figured, like, there has to be someone out there in the real world who was like a professional John Wayne impersonator who would have looked and sounded exactly like him. Yeah, who would have And maybe it. there's a thing where they can't say it's John Wayne. Mm. Maybe there's like a, some sort of estate like rights thing where you yeah, can't necessarily possible. say like it's me, John Wayne, or like make it too on the nose. But he does act exactly like him and call out High Noon for being like commie crap or whatever yes. he says, which is really funny. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I kind of thought the same thing about this. Like it, it, I don't, I don't think that it was like, it wasn't a bad John Wayne, no. but it's just not quite. You, you know there. that there's someone who could have been like just insanely accurate to the yep. point where it almost would have been cartoonish and you would have been like, oh, this is amazing. Like Michael Showalter. <laughs> no. God. <laughs> no. I'm, uh, for some reason, all I could keep thinking of was uh, was Ryan Styles because he used to impersonate uh, him yeah. all the time on Whose Line Is It Anyway, yep. even though he looks nothing like him, but he at least sounded more like him. Anyway, uh, although they could have gotten around it by if they had... In the book, you like never see his face hardly straight up. Like the hat is always tipped down low enough, and it's always just like shadow. Yeah, kind of the way the the show tends to shoot the saint when he's like in yeah. a lot of these scenes. I feel like they could have done it that way, which would have actually looked really cool if you just hear the voice. There's something about like 
the presence of his body and the voice that makes him seem more like a specter, which is really cool. Like as soon as you see like human features, really, you're kind of like, okay, but well, maybe, maybe, maybe if they bring him out of the like hallucinatory round the daydream realm or something like that they might do it more that way but either way it, it was it was fantastic like this it gave me when the voice came in like chimed in and he was in the coffin i like got goosebumps i was like oh it, it's happening <laughs> it's happening i really wanted it to cut to an out exterior shot of the coffin and Have see him way. standing there i would have screamed <laughs> i would have thrown my ipad out the window like a frisbee As I was watching it, I was like, Nick is either going to really like this or there will be something that he hates about it. (laughs) It's it's definitely more towards the really liked. There's nothing about it that I hated. Yeah. Uh, I I think the impression was a little a little soft. Yeah. And uh, that's about it, though. But I I loved the inclusion of it. I'm, I'm glad that they realized like we have to have this in here as a way of explaining how as a child he was able to endure the coffin was. And, but it also the thing is they because John Custer is so lame in the show at least as, as we've seen so far and they might do a lot more with him later you know they might listen to me and get John Bernthal and you know reshoot <laughs> it but the John Custer and John Wayne are like they're the two biggest forces in what make Jesse who he is like he is that yeah cowboy and I've talked about this before so I won't talk about it anymore but the show he's not really the same in the show and the show hasn't really talked about those being like big like uh cornerstones in his character so it it doesn't necessarily have quite the same impact but it's really really cool nonetheless yeah i thought it was fantastic i, I want to see more of it yeah i i liked it a lot but i i had the context of our kind of previous discussions about sure. it so you know it's it's hard for me to separate from that and say whether or not it it works it works or or it uh if the filmmaking of it made made sense to me or not so if there's anybody who kind of forgot about that stuff or had any questions about it or didn't think it worked please write in and let us know i do feel like it's one of those things where the the line the dialogue is there and if you're like paying attention yeah you're uh you can kind of piece it together yeah but if you were someone who was just watching you might be really confused you might be like oh what the hell yeah what's going on but even the idea that oh he's down in this thing kind of going a little crazy and he starts hallucinating about something i think that all plays pretty well of like oh you know i i get it he's he's uh he's got nothing to re- like it's almost like a sensory deprivation tank yeah you know so it kind of makes sense. I, I think i think even without the context i think it would make sense to somebody who thought about it for a little bit so i found the cover he's not standing next to it he's sitting he's, he's sitting, like sitting on it and talking that's to awesome him, basically yeah it's an amazing that's beautiful. very cool there's like a sunken ship in the background yeah <laughs> the you, you can swamp. see a lot of the i'm just kind of showing alex some brief moments here but this is typically kind of what he looks like when he shows up that's cool so he's really like hidden. yeah yeah and now that i'm skimming through this though he is a lot he's in it a lot more than i remember i mean i knew he was in it throughout kind of throughout the comic but yeah he's really in it a lot and he often shows that he's basically like a part of jesse's subconscious like there to 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 help it's a, yeah it's a representation decisions. for you to kind of get the internal <clears throat> yeah but like jesse reacts to him as though he's somebody else it's like a tyler and, may, and maybe it also is a little bit there to give you that influence of john custer when yeah very af- true after after he 
passes away, obviously. I hope after he's I hope it carries on throughout the show. That would be cool. I don't think it's going to, but I, I, I would love that. And, and well, but maybe it will because maybe that's why they didn't get somebody who's like a big time John Wayne impersonator. It's like we don't want to have to pay this guy every time. I mean, I feel like they can't if you're gonna offer them volume and say like, Hey, we wanna have you as a you wouldn't say no to a gig on AMC, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's but true. That's true. I, I, I get what you're saying too. All right. Uh, act three. Cassidy meets with a vampire that he met on the Bite Me app who says she's 200 years old, but when they go to make out in the bathroom, she stops the action to put in her fangs. Cassidy gets angry and shows his fangs and leaves the bathroom to head out to the bar and drink with his opioids def- despite his vet's advice. Featherstone sits at the bar in a New Orleans tourist disguise watching him. Uh, let's stop there for a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this, this, uh, I guess I'll talk about it here. It never occurred to me that the children of the blood would be a bunch of impersonating yeah. vampires. I, the <laughs> thought never crossed my mind. <laughs> I'm so pleased to hear that. I was like, uh, <laughs> Denise sitting here watching these videos, I was like, oh, I guess vampires are more of a thing here. Or like, you can find vampires out. But but the fact that it's like a group who's like, oh, we impersonate vampires and make these high production, probably low production videos <laughs> uh, of us acting like vampires and, and tearing people's throats out and stuff like that is way funnier than I even could have imagined oh i can't wait for more i i really don't want to talk about it too much because their utility and like background in the book i think is going to be different from the show okay but in the event that it's not i don't want to i don't want to cross the lines and, yeah and, but anyway i'm 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 just really excited about excited seeing more, more of, them. of them. the next episode is called the infant du sang which okay, is yeah. that's the name of the that's the title so yeah. i was like okay good <laughs> yeah there will there will certainly be more <laughs> it's of them it's gonna be great but i don't know it makes sense to me that uh, like uh, obviously we this is cutting ahead a little bit but it makes sense to me that like she she ex- she sees that he's a real vampire and then is like okay i'm bringing him back to the group and i'm telling we can't wait till i tell the rest of the gang about this yeah, yeah. exactly so um yeah, that uh, I loved the date scene. Yeah, I really felt you really really feel for Cass in that mm-hmm. in that bit because you see it also explains why she is very like oh it's great optimistic yeah, and cheery yeah. about being two hundred years and yeah. he's like oh really two hundred like he's what does he say about a hundred or 90? he says eighty nine eighty nine okay so he's he's very on with his math. Yeah, when you think about like, oh wow, he's not even halfway to two hundred, and she's just like, oh, yeah, I love it, don't you? And he's kind of like, mm, and he talks about. It was like, weird to me at first, of like, oh, she's she's been a vampire for two hundred years. Like, I was like, oh, that's pretty. It's a long time. Right? Yeah, yeah, long time to do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, but you really you feel bad for him. You pity him when you see him ruminating over all the terrible things that come with immortality. Yeah, and you know he's also thinking a little bit about Tulip too. But then. Mm-hmm she's kind of like saying like, Oh, doesn't you, you know, these moments of connection then aren't they even more meaningful? And you see him kind of like he had, there's, there's a ray of light. There's, yeah. a, there's some hope maybe that he can find some companionship among these other people. And that I love how angry he is at her in the bathroom. Uh, also, I love that she pulls her fangs out of like a little like retainer case. Yeah. Oh God. 
it was so funny. <laughs> I started laughing. She's like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Just put some in. Okay, go. I really love how they, how, I mean, we're not going to go a single episode of this show, spoilers, without praising Joe Gilgan. Well, like, yeah. It's not going to happen, no matter what. But his, his ability to go from any one emotional state to another is just remarkable. But when he switches into like vampire mode, he's so creepy. Mm-hmm. He's so awesome. He's, I mean, he's been doing it since season one, which is great because cast in the books is kind of the same way. Cast in the books is, he's never like great to look at. Like he's always a little kind of, cause he's, yeah. he always looks dirty. He wears the same thing all the time and he's always got the sunglasses on and you're just kind of like, okay, I don't know about him. And Joe Gilgan like can look really f- pleasant and like yeah. sometimes you enjoy looking at him you're like oh look at his get up or like even on the date he's like cleaned up his hair is uh-huh. kind of different he looks he looks fine he's not bad and then he just switches into like vampire mode and you're like oh god like it, it's sweet well and I, I, he's not i mean he's not a bad looking guy by any stretch he's just got like that stubble and he doesn't he, he puts off the vibe that he doesn't shower that often sure you know and and i get that but as you said the stuff that they choose to put him in costume wise yeah. is always so interesting yeah. that it like immediately removes your defenses against however he may look right. at the time, you know? Um, Cause he always looks like he's strung out on something yeah. or, you know, but uh, yeah. And he just, uh, he inhabits that role. So perfectly. Yeah. He just fills it with so many little things that are great. And he does look, the most awake he has in a long time on the date. Like he Mm -hmm. just seems coherent and clean. And it explains why he, because I think he really does in his mind think like, okay, clean break. Yeah. Starting over. Oh, here are some, I'm going to meet me a nice vampire. Here are some people like me. (laughs) I have a chance to, to leave all that shit behind and maybe go on a straight and narrow. And so when he comes out of the bathroom and marches right to the bar and says, give me that. And that pops open the pills, starts drinking it. Even the way he like, shoots a bunch of the pills and there's one like hanging on his lip and everything mm-hmm. it was hilarious but at the same time i was like oh god here we go yeah he's, he's he was gonna work. try and now yeah. he's right back to where he was the so i guess that's my question and maybe we'll find out more about it next episode it was like did he think he was going to meet a real vampire i think he did yeah which i mean still puts I, me in this weird like it makes me not feel so bad that i was duped by Jean du saying right but uh i guess i just still don't understand the overall context of vampires in that universe which is not important i would say i'm not sure you ever will yeah he's kind of an anomaly even in the book like when people he's kind of a novelty okay when people find out he's a vampire they're like whoa shit what yeah yeah um I, but the weird thing is that we've never had somebody be like, you're not a vampire. Those don't exist. Mm-hmm. It's like when they hear he's a vampire, they are terrified. And so I don't know. It's just a, it's an interesting distinction. Yeah. At least. Um. But yeah. No, that was a good sequence. Um. Continuing with Act 3, Jody and Tulip entertain each other talking about guns and crossword clues as Tulip tries to retrieve the hairpin from the floor. Unfortunately, Jody catches on and picks it up before she can get it. TC and Grandma plot how to exact their revenge on Tulip for freeing Cassidy, but Grandma wants to take her soul. TC cautions against it, saying little Jesse will never forgive her and then suggests that he and Grandma play. 
Back in Jesse's old Western fantasy, John Wayne realizes they're reenacting High Noon, a Gary Cooper Western that he passed on. He gooses Jesse into trying to get out of the coffin to save Tulip from Grandma, and Jesse realizes the pump feeding him air has gasoline fueling it and decides to try to send a cigarette up the outpipe to blow it up. Uh, Jody doing a crossword is funny. Yeah. Her line about I didn't even realize you could read or whatever she says that I was thought funny. was quite good. Yeah. Um, and even seeing her try to like chew on the clues too, even though she's like distracted by trying to get the hairpin, uh, I thought was good. Um, yeah, I loved I loved that scene. Those two are really good foils for each other. Yeah, I liked. I forgot to mention it, but when grandma leaves the room and she says watch her the way he <laughs> pulls out the pen and the newspaper and just kind of plops on flops the bed, and, the bed. and just yep. like st- i was like what jody doing <laughs> he's a crossword? done this many times before yeah yeah that that too <laughs> but just like jody the sight of jody doing a crossword was very funny it, it's probably that he's been working on that crossword for like 15 years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's from the 90s it's been sitting in his his pocket you just can't get those two clues <laughs> those yep. the only two left yeah, that was very funny. I was just like uh, really quite taken with that decision to just what would so I feel like so much of the stuff that happens in these scenes is just like what would he be doing? Yep. How about a crossword? Yeah, makes sense. People do that. Sure. And we'll see how it works. Oh, yeah. it's hilarious. Like it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah, the banter between the two of them is so good and mm-hmm. I did laugh out loud at the line like I'm surprised you can even read or something yep. like the delivery uh, of it is just it's fantastic. I feel like shows are so often either underwritten or overwritten. And in we I've poo-pooed on police procedural shows on another podcast of ours, probably all the podcasts <laughs> we've done now, which is like five or something. <laughs> but they're always so overwritten. People yeah. don't shut up. They're just the air has to be filled with words at all times. People can't just be or like you can't convey anything visually, but this sh- this scene, I feel like if there was less talking, it wouldn't be as compelling. It's like they they really they really just nail the the right amount of of spoken uh, word all all the time. And like all these scenes, I'm, I never leave a scene necessarily. I shouldn't say never. It's rare on this show that I leave a scene being like, I wanted a little more out of that, or like that was too much. It has happened, I'm sure. Well, and uh, like speaking of like police procedurals you always it's always heavily telegraphed as like this is a quieter scene probably not in the office we're at someone's home there's probably candles burning in the background Mm. this is where we're going to learn about our characters sure whereas with this show all of this talking being done has literally nothing to do with developing the plot it is them bouncing off of each other as the action that they're filming is informing kind of what is going on or what's trying to go on. You see Tulip extending out the, I think it's like a curtain, I forget. It's like a curtain rod. Yeah, yeah. like a curtain rod and trying to like quietly move it and move it as like Jody or her, or Jody or she is talking and and she can kind of pull it towards. So like visually they're giving you that this is what we want you to see is happening here mm-hmm. but then they're using the the verbal stuff to inform you about just to bounce these two characters off of each other yeah and to distract a little bit from what's yeah. going on and there's yeah, never great. there's never like you, you just the characters are so archetypal in 
in police procedurals that you never have to do that because it's you learn it you in episode one. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's it's quite good. It's a lot of them bouncing off of each other is like them they're as good of foils as I think Cassidy and T C were to oh, in, yeah, in my for eyes. Sure. Like and, and that having them set up that way I think was really do you feel like that is that's not really a carryover from the book. That's just kind no. of the way that Yeah, the way it, the show shook down, but even the Jesse and Grandma, like those three pairings are so good. Yeah. And the actors are flawless mm-hmm. in them. And the way that the chemistry they all have is so good. Yeah, it's uh it's spectacular. Uh, the scene was also fun to watch because the entire time I was like, Jody knows what she's doing. Yeah. Like I had no doubt in my mind. I was like, <laughs> he's just toying with her. Even mm-hmm. the part where she says something about she's not good for words. And he's like, oh, you sure use them all the time for something. I was like, he's just letting her he's think. Toying she, with he's her, letting yeah. her think she has the upper hand. Yeah, exactly. And she eventually does get the drop on him, which is yeah. cool. I think his mistake is moving closer to her. Yes. But oh, well, it, yeah. all, it all it all worked out for them anyway. <laughs> Uh, TC with hair missing, his eyebrow missing from his face because of a hair remover. Yeah. It's very good. Not ever commented on or anything. Just there. I just remember thinking, I was like, oh man, I can't wait to see him later on when he's missing some of his hair. And then the fact that it's mostly just his eyebrow yeah. is, is really good. Um, yeah. I don't know that there's, there's a whole lot to say about grandma and TC here. Not yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. Uh, and then John Wayne. Um, the dig at High Noon was funny. Yes, that was good. And, and you know, that is actually the plot of High Noon. Yeah, I like High Noon, but it's not wrong. Like, it's it's most of the movie of him walking around trying to get people to help him. Yeah. And no one will. And then just the shootout comes and he just has to do it. And it. But when it does happen, it's awesome. Yeah. It's a cool movie. But I could I could see John Wayne saying that in real life and, and meaning it. Reading that script me like, this is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I would have gone after him and shot him all. Uh, he he would have put a train on the tracks and headed it towards the train coming into town. Um, Westerns are so... I love Westerns. Westerns are so cool. There's so much to talk about. You've really not seen that many Westerns, no, have you? That is a, it is a big blank spot in my, my film... Uh, education you should look Not up that there aren't many other large blank spots <laughs> i was spots, gonna say what but it's a big world what's out your there. field of view like <laughs> i don't know it's just back to the future in the yeah. matrix <laughs> just hollywood blockbuster trilogies <laughs> got those on lock yep we, uh. you should uh sometime look for like an article that says like the like the top five or top ten most important western or best westerns or something like that and best n- not hotels <laughs> <laughs> let's not stay best best western you know what let's let's we should make a podcast let's, let's best western. and record it at a best western and <laughs> and watch a western i was just gonna say we should rent like a suite like the biggest room available at a best western and watch a couple westerns with a couple people and then record an episode about it that'd be pretty good just a one-off <laughs> oh man there's a hook yeah there's a best, I don't know where there's a best Western right here. I was going to say there's one up by the Star John R, but I don't think that's a best Western. I think it's a Motel 6. Yeah, I don't know. Right by the movie theater. Even better. <laughs> as soon as a Western comes out. Anyway, there's, there are, are Westerns aren't really so much a thing anymore. They kind of, yeah. you know, you get one once in a while and it always feels like an event when it comes out. You're mm-hmm. like, whoa, a Western. 
but you know they there was such a rich history of them over well, the, over the, so many decades. The spaghetti western specifically feels like it has died out compared oh, to like sure. like you know we get things that are set in the like even something like Hell or High Water. I would call a bit of a western. Sure. Uh but it's changed a lot. It's more in the American western tradition than yes. the spaghetti western. And spaghetti yep. westerns are their own animal. Yep. And they're also cool because Clint Eastwood's like later career in westerns is obviously like rooted in his time in spaghetti westerns, but because he obviously wasn't an Italian director, he has like American sensibilities. You get these movies that are like a weird kind of merging of several different like philosophies in like western filmmaking and you get stuff like high plains drifter which i think is the shit and (laughs) and it's just such a bizarre movie that no one else would make and like it i don't know you got that's one you'd have to watch back to the the future three is the one western that i have okay there you go it's within within your field of view that is the overlap of westerns in my yeah Yeah. and west world which is like (laughs) sci-fi Uh, yeah. And then, yeah. Nope. This is the start of Jesse's plan, but we can talk about it more in Act 4. As Jesse attempts to blow up the pump supplying air to the coffin, TC tries to soothe Grandma with some sexual Civil War roleplay, but it doesn't work when he forgets his lines. what a string of words. (laughs) (laughs) When he forgets his lines and she realizes that he's not that into it. She tells TC to retrieve Tulip, but it turns out Tulip got out of the shackle and locked Jody in it. So Tulip knocks TC out and heads down to Grandma. Jesse's controlled explosion works, blowing up the coffin and setting him free. And Tulip tries to bargain with Grandma, asking her to break the spell on Jesse and let them go free. But Grandma starts a fight with Tulip. As Jesse returns to the house, Tulip throws Grandma's lifeless body off of her and stands up, saying she did it, and then she falls lifelessly to the floor. Um. Yeah. So Jesse's plan, I just don't like. I think it doesn't work for me because it's just so asinine. But I'm kind of like, whatever. He's got to get out of the coffin somehow, and it's fine. It that like me- mechanically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Of like, they've got a they've got this pump out there pumping air in and out of the coffin for him to survive, obviously, which cool. But the idea that you would be able to send a cigarette up to it, a burning cigarette up to it, and that that would somehow be anywhere near any fuel that was in the the pump to blow it up doesn't really doesn't hold water for you yeah it, it blows, the, it blows ice the ice pack for sure but i i was kind of like whatever that's fine we can we can get on with it i liked the depiction of it at least the and i liked some of the logic behind it the fact that he like use he actually uses his collar tips to scratch uh dirt out of the the coffin in order to let some water in so he can like protect himself from the heat yeah and he uses some cigarette filters to plug his ears um which is probably not that necessary if he's going to be underwater. But maybe he didn't want to get a bunch of water in his ears. Maybe. Um, but overall, I was just kind of like, yeah, it's a little dumb, but I don't care. Yeah, the only part that was confusing to me was how he was able to... Because he's using the pack to like block it, right? Is he doing that to try to build up the vacuum? That was, I guess that's kind of something that I don't quite understand. Because he has, because a, he then like later has it positioned there 
he like has the the pack blocking it and i assume that he's trying to fill the coffin with as much oxygen as he can so that it's more combustible by only accepting the air coming in which i assume is just is it's not pure oxygen it's just it's just it's air it's just air but it's a higher i i think at this point the coffin becomes more ox, more air than than not than like whatever he's breathing and he's building up pressure with the pack block and then later he fashions the thing with his collar i think to kind of continue to block it and in the cigarette in there hoping that eventually when the pressure reaches like critical mass it just sucks the cigarette up there once it gets strong enough to where it can free the blockage yeah like there's it's like ghetto science like it's movie science like yeah i watched it and i was like this makes sense but you I, as get I watching, what it's trying to tell you yeah. but you know that it wouldn't really work in like real it could have been much dumber it yes. could have been a far yes. dumber explanation he could have like just filled the coffin with air and then like lit the lighter and blown it up or something stupid like this was at least a little more interesting i also like that it didn't work the first time yeah and uh his the look on his face when he's dominic cooper and those expressions he can make when he's looking at it he just has this like stupid from under the water yeah this like dumb grin on his face and this cheeks look all huge because he's holding his breath and he's just like yeah take that (laughs) and then it doesn't work (laughs) it was really really enjoying i don't i i to me it was weird because like the like i thought the cigarettes were only up there because he was trying to keep them away from the water so he could burn more of them that's true too and and the the but but it doesn't make sense to me that there would be multiple suction points it should only be the one that he's got the cigarette unless i think he moved the pack i don't think so though because he keeps pulling them out so it that is a little bit unclear to me unless like somehow does the does the air in eventually like suck the cigarette like i don't know yeah like unless he was like blocking the the outlet to somehow make the pump like reverse and suck up through the inlet i don't know it it does ultimately it doesn't matter no because we get it yeah and we it know worked in the show yeah so whatever but anyway um i guess if anybody else thinks they have like a better explanation for what happened please sure let us know but uh the sexual civil war role play (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah weird on uh numerous levels Mm -hmm. i am concerned that this i'm sure this has happened in the past oh yeah concerned it has gone much further than it did oh yeah hey uh we get grandma's wig off which uh, does not look as bad as the comics, but, no, but I think still is not. ultimately trying to get there. Yeah, not as good as she wants us to think she looks. Yes. Um, the fact that it is something that TC is doing to try and prevent Grandma from taking Tulip's soul, I think is interesting. He's trying to distract her. He's trying to distract her, but it, like he's he's so worried about what Jesse will feel about this. Like it it seems like it's more than just I don't want him to be pissed because he won't help us. It seems like I don't want him to be pissed because I kind of care about him almost. And I don't know if that's true. Uh, may, maybe TC just thinks that Jesse is more essential to Angelville coming back to prosperity than than grandma does or grandma's just so like 
blinded by rage right now and needs a soul to like continue to live and stay young like i don't it it just feels like there's a little bit more there between tc and jesse than either that or i think maybe tc is the only one who knows that jesse could be a serious threat if he yeah that's true if he uh was properly motivated Mm -hmm. he could kill them all yeah take down angelville yeah that's possible um but yeah and then the fight between grandma and tulip i think i didn't expect grandma to be that to put up that much of a fight yeah yeah i was a little surprised too like i wonder if her on her crutch and whatever is a little bit of a show to to make make people think she's less it's hard to gauge how old she is uh if she has any like supernatural abilities about her yeah we don't really know it's pretty clear in the book that she's not doing great yeah there is a detail about her and jody and tc in the books though which has not yet been addressed in the show, and I'm not sure it's going to. And it might be the kind of thing that you have to add to the board for us to circle back around to. Okay. Um, something, uh, a trait about the three of them, which is explained in the books, hasn't come up yet in the show. It may not even be a factor in the show. Okay. But uh, write that one down. And okay. At the end of the season, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Yeah. This will um, be the, uh, the rooftop... Yes, the rooftop of the of, alienist. Of the alienist of this season. <laughs> Good to know. Um, And yeah, Tulip passing out. Did you kind of get what was going on before it was explained? I, I kind of figured. Yeah. I didn't I didn't suspect before that. Yeah. But I, as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, there it is. There's some, some voodoo going on there, yep. literally. All right. And then Act 5, it turns out that Grandma tied Tulip's life to her own in order to safeguard herself from Jesse. Jesse uses TC's adrenaline to revive Grandma, which in turn revives Tulip, but the adrenaline weakens Grandma's heart. TC informs the group that Grandma needs a soul, and Jody suggests that they start with Tulip's, starting a fight between everyone once again. Cassidy passes out at the bar after ingesting his opioids and drinking heavily, so Featherstone calls Star in. After cleaning out, clearing out the restaurant... They film a hostage video to send Je- send to Jesse in order to get him back on their side, but they get surprised when Leon Fontu saying swoop in and save Cassidy. Um, and then he wakes up in there. Yes, in there. Is that later? No, I it, it, I just kind of figured it was a little. We're gonna get. We'll talk about it, was it next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like his reaction to waking up amongst them, just going, "Ugh, yeah, bollocks, bollocks. yeah." You know um, what he's dealing with. Did the was the the kind of the the character and the throne was was that reasonably comic book? Accurate? Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. talk more yeah. about that. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, now, now I have to read that arc now in the comics. I have to skip ahead. <laughs> They're pulling you all over the significantly, place. Significantly, I think, because the Angelville stuff is is like issues like six through eleven or something weird. And I think that the the Children of Blood or whatever they, whatever translates to, I think they show up in like the 30s or something of the issues. So I don't know if I ever actually asked you whether or not that group was in the books or not. They are. Okay. Yeah. So it, it is. This is some way. It's, and it's not. It wasn't a they are serving a similar function. It is literally Leon Fontu saying are in the book. 
the name yeah. of the group. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All uh, right. Yeah, when they were kind of teased in season two, I was like, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how, if they are. Like basically, if you were to ask, are they or are they not the same as in the book? I, we don't I, know. I, w- yet. I wouldn't be yeah. able to answer. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. That's fair. Um, I can already kind of say, in some ways, no. But we'll talk about that more. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the, yeah, the Pulp Fiction strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's good. It fits in with the. Uh, so I, I get it. Like we know why Grandma did this. Why doesn't she? tell them though up more up front because if tulip had shot her in the face like in a killed her in a way that could not you could not necessarily come back from then then it would literally only that would literally only exist to spite jesse exactly yeah rather than act as a insurance policy um because she kills her by just oxygen deprivation right she basically just chokes her out until she dies yeah Mm. Yeah. I don't know if in real life, if you were to die in that way, if you could be revived with an adrenaline shot, I suppose maybe it's possible. I know people do die and they are revived. Yeah. I uh, Yeah. I think that. Anyway. Reasonably, a, I think that could happen given a, a more, ideal conditions. A more violent means of death, which is certainly well within Tulip's wheelhouse. In fact, is probably the more likely way to be killed by Tulip is by like gun or knife or yeah. something or grenade or who knows. And what. she gets the opportunity to do that and doesn't do it earlier in the episode. It seems like a little. Uh, it's pretty fortunate for everybody involved that uh, she just choked her out. Yeah, that's what I'm left wondering if we will learn more. Obviously, we haven't gotten a moment of Jesse talking to Grandma to be like, "What the hell, Grandma?" Or you yeah. know. That that's that's what leads me to believe that he wasn't aware. Yeah, because he would have told her that's why you can't kill Grandma because he'll yeah. kill you. But the he does seem to immediately though say, "Oh, duh," and because then when they're talking about Madame Boyd, he's like, "She knew she yeah she knew she what she was doing known, yeah yeah yeah." That's true, but it. I don't know. I don't know why she. It, it almost seemed as though she wasn't expecting Tulip to be the one to kill her. Mm. You know, ah, and yeah, she she figured that if it she thought her her life debt would have been enough to buy her some good grace. From yeah, uh, and that's what she says early in the episode of like I we didn't talk about it very much, but the the whole speech of like everything you do is because of me or from me which is great great oh, yeah. dialogue yeah i loved that every every screw every every shit, shit. yeah <laughs> yeah no it, and that i mean she wants to to be more appreciative of it but Tulip's basically just like yeah thanks you know well, so well <laughs> thanks <laughs> but uh so uh, to me and, and i don't think she believed that jesse would try to kill her either but anyway, a lot of surprises um, in store for you, Grandma. The only like I did want to go into speculation territory a little bit here, Ooh, and and I it. guess you maybe don't uh, need to comment. You can you can you can give a little bit of like, do you think that's likely or something like that? But like, it it's becoming clear to me that they're probably isn't a way for them to just solve the fact that their lives are intertwined now and 
so basically grandma need grandma cannot be taken out of the equation necessarily without hurting tulip so my guess was that jesse needs to use the word to like keep grandma's heart beating literally that's a pretty cool theory and 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 thus not only prevent grandma like like he 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 can he will somehow need to use the word to disable grandma but also keep her alive is is my theory at least interesting theory that's cool i really can't say for sure because just grandma grandma's role in the show is different than in the books yeah so it, i really can't uh confirm or deny that that that, that may happen okay I like, that. I like that idea, though. It kind of calls back to some of the weird stuff that happened with the heart in, yes, in the first yeah. episode. The open your heart and yeah. like the uh, having uh, Tracy Loach open her eyes, even though she, uh, you know, was comatose, that kind of stuff. Like it, it feels as though it would be possible for Jesse to kind of put her in a state of like essentially being um, a comatose as well, but yeah. alive for some indefinite period of time to keep Tulip safe or alive at least. But anyway, I guess if anybody else has some thoughts, let us know. Uh, not informed by spoiler stuff from the comics, of course, but yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, the grail coming in to film their, their video, the, uh, the jeopardy line is, yeah, it is really good. So good. He's like, I don't even think that's a word, mate. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> I like, I mean, this is this is where we get a shot of Hairstar walking in all boss yep. with that stupid hat. <laughs> it looks like he it looks like one of the like $1 painter hats you get at like Home Depot. It's it's like it's really good. It's a it's two steps away from having like a propeller on top of yes, it, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's it, it's so good. It is fantastic. And again, he just does it with that look on his face or just like, you know, he'll kill everyone in the room, but you you would still laugh at him. I still which, I, which is like that's crucial to the character of Hairstar is like no matter this isn't this isn't a spoiler necessarily, but no matter what level of extreme badassery he will bring to bear and like what level of depraved violence and vile you know, plan like on the level of like the operative from like Serenity, like something yeah. so deep, you will still laugh at him. Mm-hmm. And that's so key. That's <laughs> so, so, so crucial to the character. And the fact that they have nailed that, not only in the way he's written, but the way he's dressed, but in finding Pip Torrance. Well, and probably also the fact that they like have to dial it back a bit for television too, you know, because you've talked a little bit about his like, sexual proclivities at least yeah and and so like the idea that they can't necessarily get into that but yet you still find him funny in most respects i think uh you have to you definitely have to be able to like he's the kind of there there are moments in the book where like he'll just be like talking and, and he'll have like i mean it could be anything it could be like a row of like 13 tanks behind him and he's just giving a speech where somebody will like snicker at him yeah like because you just gonna gotta laugh at him, be like, <laughs> really? I'm kind of curious why, like, he needed to switch hats. 
I just can't. Did, was he just kind of like, well, this one's a little too prim and prominent? Mm, yeah. Time to dress down. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, love, I love the way she says very Don Draper, even though yeah. it looks nothing like what Don Draper would wear. It was like the <laughs> yeah. worst reference possible. He's never seen Mad Men. Who? Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it, was, it was beautiful. I also really love that the Grail particularly Samson unit is professional enough to, to properly light their uh, interrogation yes. or ransom videos. Yes. When she whips open the umbrella, I started <laughs> laughing. I was like, oh, that's so good. I love, 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 love. I mean, I love every single cast member of the show, but I love Juliana Emery. She mm-hmm. is so funny. And her disguise in the bar is hysterical. It's beautiful. The wig and the, she's reading the book about like the haunted tours. Yep. Of New Orleans. <laughs> Man, it's so good. <laughs> She's got like a fanny pack on or whatever. Yeah. You get the idea that she could be like an amazing field operative, but her partner's Hoover mm-hmm. and she seems to always like screw up. And in the books... She's different than in the comics, yeah. but she's similar in a lot of ways. But I, I really love it. I love her interpretation. And I think she's phenomenal. Uh, she's she's someone I want to see more of for sure, like uh, in, in other projects. She's, she's re- very, very talented. She's she's quite good in the in the smaller role that she has in Better Call Saul. So awesome. look forward to seeing her in that someday. Um Joe Gilgan falling out of the chair, the the physical comedy of, of this part mm-hmm. I I also thought was notable at least because like it's one of those things like I don't know, it's one of those things where it's like I don't feel like they would have planned it out that well. But, like, I could see him and Julianne Emery kind of being like, all right, I'm going to maybe fall out of the chair a little bit, so play with it a little bit. Yeah. And just kind of seeing how that worked out, I thought, was was quite good. It was good. Um, The one detail here is the idea that L'Enfant Dussain could get the jump on the Samson unit. Sure. feels a little... Uh, opportunistic i don't know what the word i'm looking for a yeah, little forced i agree i agree with what you're saying but uh you know once again i don't really care that like much. i said this is where i, I kind of said this in the discord and i don't mean to keep airing the discord conversations on the show no. but there's there's a there is a certain part of your relationship as the reader slash viewer with hair star is to see him established as a force to be reckoned with which is definitely how they establish him, right? He's yeah. he's always in control. He's the puppet master. He's orchestrating everything. He's got this grand plan. He's got infinite resources and wealth at his disposal. He should not fail. Yeah. But you will continue to watch things slip out of his fingers, and it's really, really rewarding. It's so fun. <laughs> it's, it's fun on so many levels because it obviously keeps the story going, but it's it's even more fun to watch him react to like being this close and then just like, (laughs) and I guess that's the way again, like that fits very well with the situation. Right. And and they get caught off guard, I guess. So I can dismiss it. Like I said, part of the joy of it all is watching him have every reason to succeed and still something happenstance. Something will go wrong. Sometimes it's his fault. Sometimes it's one of his subordinates' fault. Sometimes it's an external force that just... Sometimes it's sheer dumb luck. Sometimes it's something Jesse did. It's 
beautiful to just watch <laughs> over and over and over again. I compared the relationship between him and Jesse to Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner from Looney ah, Tunes. That's very good. And that's basically the way it is. Like just when he'll have everything in position and all the shit from Acme you could ever want, <laughs> the Roadrunner will just find his way out. Sidestep it. Exactly. Yep. And then and then the coyote's left with this mess and it's just fantastic. <laughs> that's beautiful. They've done a great job depicting that so that's far. Why, so. Yeah, that's why I'm, while I'm having a lot of fun with everything that's going on, another reason I'm a little hesitant to reintegrate some old characters and maybe bring in more characters in general is like at the at the core of it, my favorite stuff in Preacher, I think, is always the like pursuit of Jesse by the Grail. Mm. And uh, even though it comes and goes, he always has, he's always kind of, ping-ponging between the grail and some other like you know one-off type things or uh the saint yeah and i'm i that's the stuff that's the most fun to me so i am i'm not necessarily concerned yet about the lifespan of the show but i think there is as always with any show you enjoy there's reason to be concerned that it might go away yeah and i there are some there's some stuff from the books that I want them to get to before it's too late. And I really am hoping they, they can, but I also want this show to see it through to the ending because the ending of the book, like I've talked about in the last week or two weeks ago, I love, and uh, I hope the show does it the same way, but I could see it. I'm sure it will in some way be similar, but I just hope they get there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I would like them to have the opportunity to kind of close it out and you know, I, I wonder if they have that plan in place or if they're kind of taking it season by season or what they're I feel like they've what got they're a, thinking. But I feel like they probably have a big board somewhere where they have broken down what each season would be. Yeah. I sure hope so. Yeah. There's really no excuse to not, especially when you have existing material to draw from, you know? Yeah. No, no, just a little bit about how much you're you can get through. Uh the one thing that I forgot to talk about a little bit was uh of course more Mark Harlick. Uh, we do get a glimpse of God, uh, Tulip. Yeah. Tulip gets to see God once more. And uh I'm trying to think, what exactly does he say to her? He says, dead again, I see. Pass fail, O'Hare, and you are failing. Uh, very good. You know, just always happy to see Mark Harlick. Oh, yeah, that was great. So, And it actually, so this is a moment from the book pretty much that the first time God appears to Tulip, she I don't think she's even necessarily convinced that like God's around, but the first time he appears to Tulip is when she dies in the mm-hmm. book. She does die at Angelville at one point, and uh, God is the one who uh, he appears before her, and that's when he kind of relays his message, and, and he brings her back to life, actually. Okay, yeah. And it's pretty awesome. But uh, the <laughs> his c- condescending tone is perfect. Mm-hmm. And Mark Harlick, hey... Mark Harlick sighting. I've been uh, I've been rewatching the Jurassic Park films. Ah, uh-huh. uh, somewhat enjoyably, somewhat against my better judgment, because my wife wants to go see Jurassic World two, which I'm fine with, and <laughs> I love the first Jurassic Park as pretty much everyone with a pulse does, mm-hmm. and I loved it when I was a kid for dinosaur reasons, and I thought Alan Grant was really cool. I. Didn't watch it for a long time until in my 20s sometime when they re-released it in, in 3D. IMAX theaters in 3D. And I went and it shredded my mind and I had to pull myself back together atom by atom like Dr. Manhattan. 
it was so awesome mm-hmm. and it took on a whole new meaning as an adult and so i can i like watching it every couple of years now as a grown up and in this rewatch uh once again you know love the first one it's uh it's a classic and, and it, every time you watch it you realize more and more and more why it works and why steven spielberg is the only reason it works mm-hmm. but you watch the lost world still spielberg right but not as good <laughs> and there's uh there's a lot of worth in it and there's a lot of crap in it and uh either way you know take it or leave it i i kind of like it but i also recognize why it's not very good but Jurassic park three is just a big fart in a glove as <laughs> willie would say have you ever seen Jurassic park three i have okay in fact then it, you're good it was a long time ago that's fine uh you're good there <laughs> don't rewatch it it's worse when you're older interesting it sucks. I because I when before Jurassic World came out, I went back and watched uh, one, and one, two, one and two at least. Sure, that's fine. And I did not like two as much as I remember liking three. Oh, from years before. Then you should rewatch three so you can. I probably that out. should. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Mark Harlick's in it. He's at the very beginning. <laughs> he plays like the new boyfriend. That's uh, that's like parasailing with the kid. If you remember any details of Jurassic Park 3, I didn't realize it was him. And it's the second the movie started, the second it showed him, I was like, oh, there he is. Beautiful. It's, uh, it was, I forgot to text you and tell you that I was actually going to take a picture of my TV, uh, but I didn't. So. Speaking of other preacher sightings, uh, I did go see Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again this oh, weekend. And uh, Dominic Cooper is there. And there's a moment where he's wearing like a bright blue disco suit. It's beautiful. Can he sing and dance too in real life? Uh, I don't. I mean, he does sing a few of the tracks, at least in the first one. I don't remember him singing all that much in this one. Um, and he seems to do okay. They don't really have him doing that many dances. So he's kind of like in the Pierce Brosnan realm of singing. A little, like he's yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd put him in in that realm. He and, can make and it work. I, I think he does a good job, but m- mostly it's really fun to see him in in a disco suit compared to his like preacher get up so his his badass uh jesse duds yes so i shouldn't compare him to pierce because i haven't seen either the mamma mia films but i know pierce brosnan is in his own realm of charisma where he can pretty much do anything and you'll accept it when when pierce re-entered the picture in the second (laughs) one tim leaned out and i looked over at him and we just nodded at each other it was it was glorious we have you know you've got your celebrity crushes you've got your man crushes and i feel like collectively we have some yet to be defined crush on pierce brosnan that can't it can't be explained we want him to be our dad so bad <laughs> but also like our, our best friend yeah. yeah he's uh he's spectacular not that any of our dads are bad no but pierce our, dads, brosnan. our dads rule yes but yeah pierce brosnan just seems like the coolest yes did you watch that uh nick hornsby movie yet that i told you about with aaron paul no oh you have to what's long way down is that what it's called something like that Maybe we watched it. Is that the one? I know I watched it, but I don't think I watched it with you. I think I have seen it. It's like Aaron Paul, Pierce Brosnan, and like two other people. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Imogene Poots yes. and uh, Tony Collette. I have seen it. I have seen it. It is good. I like A Long it. Way Down is what it's called yes. from 2014. Yeah, I remember I watched it. I know I didn't watch it with you because I was texting you during it saying okay. you have to watch this because it has Pierce. Uh, it has Aaron Paul, two big draws for us. I, I really like Imogen Poots, and I love Tony Collette, so I was like, "Yeah, this is a no-brainer. It's not the best movie, but no. like, it's really good. Yeah. But the I remember telling you the scenes in like when they're in the Mediterranean together. I was like, the like 
the very brief like bromance between mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan and Aaron Paul is wonderful. <laughs> so there's another recommendation. We got some. You got some Warren Zevon homework to do. Yep. Here's one, and maybe a deep cut for people who are fans. He has an album of like unreleased tracks. I think it's called Preludes, and it's got a song on it called Studebaker. That when I discovered it, I must have listened to it 85 times in a row on like Spotify because I thought. It was such a wonderful song. So if you're a fan of him and you don't know that song already, go look up Studebaker and uh, enjoy it for as rough shot as it is. His son is also a musician. He's not that great, but he covered it, and it's also not that great. But it makes you appreciate the the talent of the man that he could record a demo of a song, and it's better than a fully fleshed out. Like The, the track is so authentic that you hear him screw up because mm. he's singing and playing piano. You hear him goof the piano part and he like loses his timing with the lyrics, but he kind of catches up quickly. Yeah. And it just is so real that when you're listening to it, you're like, oh, wow, I really appreciate that. And you listen to his son's like polished recorded version and it doesn't hold a candle to it. Yeah. So there's a testament to, to just raw talent. And then watch uh, A Long Way Down. It's pretty cool. It was on Netflix at least yeah. back then in like 2015 when I watched I it. I feel like it was like a Netflix movie. So it might, might it should probably still be up there. Yeah, it was from the author of uh, who also wrote uh, High Fidelity. Fidelity. Yeah. And I don't know who directed it, though. I don't think it was the same director, but uh, either way, it was a, it was worth a watch. But write in and tell us about your thoughts on Pierce Brosnan and how he's clearly the best James Bond. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you wish he was your dad or which celebrity <laughs> you do. Actually, I think for uh, uh, childhood, us, it was probably Tim Allen. We were all like, oh, well, Tim yeah. Allen's my dad. Of course. Of course. That's a different, uh, That's a different, different topic for another day. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Anyway, is there uh, anything else in this last scene that we didn't talk about before we got on this ridiculous tangent? I think we pretty much hit everything. Uh, we could probably talk about Leon through saying a little more, but I will talk about him next week. Clearly, so yeah, uh, I'll say this: if you haven't seen what we do in the shadows, watch that as homework mm. for next week's episode <laughs> of uh, of Preacher, because I feel like there might be some, some allegories, tie-in yeah. opportunities there. That's You've good. seen it, right? Yes. Okay, good. It was very good. All right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast at G2TPodcast.com. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, and more podcatchers. We're also G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us at G2TPodcast at gmail.com. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, FX's The Alienist, and HBO's Westworld. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread and is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. That's all for this episode of Gone to Texas. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher Bings, but until then, go forth and speak the good word. Did you say Preacher Bings? I said, I Ch- said Brings. Ch- Chandler Bings? Ch- 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 Chandler Bong? Chandler Bong? Uh, no, I, I, I said Brings, but it was very weird. It, it was... It, the the r was was kind of missing a little bit but anyway yeah <laughs>